finally realized that there are there are a lot of assets coming down the pipeline from the banks. And I, as a small investor, have the ability to buy those assets at a very deep discount. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then fund that flips the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and we have a show for you where, just like all the other shows, we're cutting out all the fluffy stuff, and we're going to get straight to the best real estate advice that moves your business forward. Spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Jay Papazon, the co-author of The One Thing, among many other books with Gary Keller and many other investors who help us learn uh, learn the tips and tricks and how to run a real estate investing business more effectively and more profitable. With us today, we have an experienced note investor who invests in distressed debt. How are you doing, Bob Malecki? Hi, Joe. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for joining us and a little bit about Bob, and then he's going to get into it in more detail. Uh, as I mentioned, he is a note investor. He's located in Kingston, Washington, which is about 30 miles north of Seattle, Washington. Uh, he's experienced in the analysis, acquisition, repositioning, and disposition of distressed properties or assets. He has established teams in key markets to uh, make that happen, facilitate the repositioning of those assets. Uh, you can say hi to him and his company at rcm.company. You heard that right. It is www.rcm.company. And he started in 2006 and he's been rock and rolling ever since. With that being said, Bob, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Sure. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Well, prior to my life as a real estate investor, just real quick, I was involved mainly in information technology. I worked for software companies um, as a as a, a product development manager in the areas of print and online publishing in Northern California. And uh, I, were, I got a position in 1995 with Adobe when they opened up their Seattle offices. And that's what pretty much brought me up here. 
since then, I started my real estate investing career in 2006, where um, my wife and I bought some small multifamily residential properties in our local area. I branched out and started buying homes via the subject to model and flipping them, and then eventually developed a system to analyze and purchase bank-owned REO properties, uh, all single-family homes. And to date, we flipped, I think, a little over 25 homes, mostly local. In 2009, uh, my wife, Suzanne, and I both opened a, a Roth self-directed IRA account, and we, we partnered with other family members who also had Roth accounts for their self-directed IRAs. We purchased turnkey rental homes in Memphis, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we ended up liquidating all but the San Antonio rental and provided seller financing to two of the Memphis rentals to other investors. And we hold those loans in our self-directed IRA portfolios. And that's part of my role as far as getting into note investing. In 2012, I partnered with a local REA member. We started a private equity fund to purchase rentals, flips, and notes. Uh, we're winding that down now, liquidating our assets. And then in 2013, I started to really do some education and research um, on buying distressed residential mortgage debt. And, and now this asset class represents probably about 60% of our cash flow portfolio, a bit of it in our self-directed IRAs. And uh, right now, I'm uh, partnered with a, a, a guy named Ben Cote out of uh, uh, San, San Francisco area. And we're doing a private placement memorandum for a new equity fund to be managed by our company, Resolution Capital Management. And it's focused 100% on buying and repositioning distressed mortgage debt. We're raising capital from private investors in the fund to acquire large pools of notes so we can restructure those loans with borrowers. This makes it affordable for them to resume their loan payments, remain in their homes, and provides the fund a monthly cash, uh, cash flow income stream. And because we get these loans at a deep discount, that cash flow provides a substantial return on investment to our investors and to Ben and I as well. I'm still flipping homes and I still own a small portfolio of rental properties as well, but really uh, distressed debt, uh, residential notes is really my sweet spot. Got it. Well, how'd you, I mean, from, from flipping to note buying, how'd you make the segue from the former to the latter? Okay. Well, and, uh, and, may, and maybe less how, but why, why'd you make the segue? Right, right. Well, you know, every, anybody who owns a rental property is familiar with tenants, trash toilets and termites and so forth. And that's just part part and parcel with owning rental property, even you know from the, from the single family home to the large multifamily. And I, I always had this, you know, every time I get a call from a tenant or my property manager would call me with a with a you know something wrong, I always thought you know it'd be great if I had tenants who would just kind of leave me alone and send me money. That's my fantasy. And I realized that that's what a bank does. They have the day of borrowers, which are called borrowers. Borrowers send you money, and they take care of the property. So. That really intrigued me. And doing my research and looking at the uh, toxic assets that are still on the bank's books from the 2008 housing bubble, where they, they provided financing to unqualified buyers, and going to some webinars and going to some seminars and listening to note gurus, I finally realized that there are, there are a lot of assets coming down the pipeline from the banks. And I, as a small investor, have the ability to buy those assets at a very deep discount uh, get them reperforming, enjoy a very good ROI from the cash flow, keep a borrower in their home, which is to me a great thing to to contribute back to a neighborhood and, and our society. And these people basically send money in. They don't call me when their their toilet is leaking or their roof is leaking or whatever. There's no contractors, there's no evictions, there's no vacancies. 
And because I bought that at, that that note at a discount, um, our principal investment is completely covered and typically uh, covered almost two x of what we invested in it. So for me, it just became it made a lot more sense. And personally, because of my background in product development and technology, I've got a pretty good knack for research and due diligence. So I was able to fairly quickly develop a platform that allowed me and my team to create a due diligence uh, methodology, which is really key in, in, in buying notes is all the upfront work and getting all that, all that information filtered through and qualified. It worked out very well in that respect. What is uh, one tip, and we haven't gotten to your best advice yet, but what is one tip as it relates specifically to note buying that you think would be surprising for people who are familiar with it, but not experts in it? Oh, boy. Um, an aspect that would be surprising uh, about note buying. Well, uh, there's a lot of little surprises in note buying. And uh I guess one would be that the higher the value of the property, the the more risk you have in many respects, because a property that's maybe got an, a 50 or $80,000 BPO value, the, that, that borrower is probably going to be middle class, blue collar. Uh, they may have just gotten reemployed. They're grateful to get, get the loan modified, stay in their home. Whereas somebody with a house that's, you know, valued at two or $300,000 is going to maybe be more reluctant to work with a bar with a with a bank or or a new lender, and they may get litigious. So there's a higher risk of of dealing with uh, a borrower's attorney. The higher up the price band you go uh, on on housing values. Interesting. Okay. So what where do you focus uh, your your efforts? Do you focus on the more fifty to one hundred k range or or higher? 50 to 100K is a sweet spot uh, for various reasons. One is that in, there's, a, there's kind of a waterfall that happens when banks uh, sell their distressed debt. They, they only sell in pools of you know, $100 million, $200 million. So the large hedge funds will buy those. And there's a waterfall that go to smaller hedge funds and brokers and dealers and so forth. And as that waterfall happens, those larger funds take the higher end properties, the waterfront Miami property notes, the notes on, you know, on higher end properties. They don't want to deal with the sub $100,000 price band for one reason, because the foreclosure costs can eat up their profit margin. Uh, secondly, it, it's, it's just as much work to foreclose on a hundred or an $80,000 house as it is on a $400,000 house. So they just stick to the higher end properties with more margin. So there's an opportunity for us as small investors to get these lower price band properties. And yes, it's a little bit more work dealing with, um, a less savvy, uh, borrower, but in the same sense, it's less risk because of the, uh, litigation potential on higher end borrowers. Um, so for us, we've developed a methodology um, on buying properties in the Carolinas, in Tennessee, Oklahoma, and Texas are our sweet spots. Uh, mainly uh, in, in, in the note business, there's kind of one division is a state, each state has its different foreclosure laws, and they're either going to be judicial, where you have to go through the court system to foreclose, or non-judicial uh, which uses a trust deed and allows you to foreclose just using a trustee and an attorney. The non-judicial states typically will be less time to foreclose, three to three months to a year, whereas a judicial state can be 
six months to four years, like in New York, I think it's at three years right now. Florida is at a, a couple of years because it has to go through a very backed up judicial system. So in terms of our risk and our targets, if we have to foreclose, which we have not done yet on a, on a borrower-occupied property, and if we had to, we want to pick a state where we can get the foreclosure done quickly, exit the property through an REO sale, or maybe convert it into a rental if we need to, although rental really isn't in our in our scope. On a, on a judicial state, it takes much longer and so forth and so on. With note buying, what is the main challenge that you have as you know someone who's in the middle of it and overseeing, you know, lots of different transactions and, and work throughs. I would say that, well, one of the biggest challenges is, is finding quality assets. And that varies based on the activity that happens at the top of that waterfall. Last year, we had uh, less assets available because the previous year, a large hedge fund bought a huge pool of assets at a very high price at 70, 80 cents on the dollar which is really high. Typically, I like to buy assets at less than 50 cents on the, on the, and that's on the BPO dollar of the property value, not the loan amount. So they created a bit of a vacuum last year and there weren't, there wasn't a lot of deal flow going through. I just attended a conference in Dallas in November and the, the keynote speaker who works for a very large hedge fund in New York, basically who, who predicted the shortfall last year now predicted that we will start seeing assets this year. And so uh, that's why Ben and I are ramping up his private equity fund, because so, we know we're going to see deal flow come through. So deal flow is one thing. Um, the other is just the little curves that you come across in 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 resolving a note, uh, a loan with a borrower. Um, we just bought a note on a house in Seattle area, a very nice property. Uh, and of course, the borrower, because it's a higher end property, it's got a value in the mid, uh, mid 200,000 range. The one, first thing we got was a letter from their attorney asking for information, so forth and so on. So they're going to try to drag it out. Those kinds of things you just have to be prepared and be very patient with. Uh, a one note guru said, I'd, I'd rather make a, a slow dime than a fast nickel. And that's very true in the note business. What are a couple other examples of the little curveballs that you've come across when you resolve a note? Title issues. In due diligence, when buying a note, you, you go through all of the title. You look at chain of uh, the assignment chain. You know, a bank has sold it to another bank. Another bank sold it to another bank. Another bank sold it to an investor who sold it to a hedge fund, so forth and so on. You can have, you know, a chain of title going from three to you know, virtually unlimited, but three to five different owners of that note over time. And you want to make sure that all of the uh, assignments are in place and what we call launches, which is basically a receipt from the seller to the buyer. And basically, if you do good due diligence, that won't be a problem. But I, I have one uh, house in Tulsa that we foreclosed on. And then after the foreclosure, I went to sell it to an investor and he had a title report done. And we found out that the one one sentence, part of a sentence was missing in the legal description on the property from the day that the original buyer bought it who I foreclosed on, she had already exited the property the year before I bought the note, but there was an issue with the legal description. So now we have to vacate the original foreclosure, the foreclosure, and now we're reforeclosing and having to deal with getting that, that amended and so forth and so on. So sometimes that curveball, you, you, you know, you, you don't read a legal description or you read a legal description going through a chain of title and you think it's correct. And you didn't realize that it was originally Mis- miswritten by the title company that 
uh, or by the title company and the escrow company that that uh, facilitated the purchase for the borrower. In that specific example, with the the one line of legal description missing, what are the cost implications and time implications? Time wise, so Oklahoma is a judicial state. It took us about four months to do the original foreclosure. Uh, because we have some of that process can be recycled, so to speak, by our attorney, it's going to take probably two to three months to re-foreclose on it. So that's it's delayed us. It's pushed us through the winter now. So I have a vacant home going through the winter. So I have to spend a bit of money on property preservation. Fortunately, I have an associate who just moved to Tulsa where the home is located, and I can have him kind of keep an eye on it. Cost-wise, it's probably going to cost us another couple of thousand dollars to re- to reinitialize the foreclosure in terms of attorney's fees and so forth and so on. So, you know, making sure you have that margin and buying that out at a discount is, is, is even more imperative when you come into little curves like that. The associate you mentioned who just moved to Oklahoma, was he, did he move there to be local for more deals for on behalf of your company or was that just a personal thing? It was personal. He's got his son lives there. Grandkids are there. He's from the area. So he, he, he had lived out here uh, for for his job and he retired years ago. So he and his wife decided to relocate back back home to be with their kids and the grandkids. Got it. You mentioned uh, or I mentioned you wrote it and I, I repeated it in the intro that you have teams in key markets to facilitate the repositioning of the properties. Are you referring to fix and flips? In that, in that scenario, or are you referring to the distressed note buying? Both. Yeah. When we bought the Memphis uh, rental properties, turnkey rentals, I developed relationships with a property manager, with a, a, a closing attorney, with rehabbers there. So, you know, that would be a team that I developed uh, both remotely and on, upon a few visits to have trusted individuals, boots on the ground in that in that uh, that market over there. Uh, in Oklahoma, I've had I have a relationship with a property manager there. So if I'm looking at an Oklahoma City property, I can have Sue send one of her people out to do a drive-by before I buy the note. You know, so developing these relationships in the market is is pretty key. And also just in the note business, because there's a lot of third-party services that were created for banks to use. I can deploy, uh, get a BPO within a day or two online using PayPal and ordering it through a, a half a dozen different vendors. I can have a title search done uh, remotely. Again, uh, all this is online. I can file in most counties that have electronic filing capabilities now. I can use a system called Simplifile and record a deed of trust, record an assignment, record a lien. Uh, using my web browser and uh, PDFs and just uploading them and paying a fee. So developing teams are both physically uh, a system that I've done for specific markets as well as virtually using the internet and all the online services that are available to me. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, I would say I've got two pieces of advice. Uh, One is developing relationships. Uh, That's a key component to a successful uh, real estate investing career, Uh, more so in notes for me because for various reasons. But just in general, if you're buying rentals or buying homes to flip or buying multifamily properties, you know, having those relationships with brokers, having relationships with your peers, you never know when a deal is going to come across your desk that's not on, on the MLS or online or anything. So having really good relationships and maintaining them is one 
key a piece of advice. And then, as I mentioned earlier, due diligence. And again, not just in note buying, but in buying any property that you're going to do, to do a project with, whether it's a flip or a rental, knowing the neighborhoods, knowing the property characteristics and values and so forth, I think are key. What's one aspect of the due diligence, and you can talk about note buying or single families or flipping, that you particularly hone in on that uh, perhaps is something that you've got bitten on in the past and you're you're more uh, in tune to? I would say exit strategies. You know, the results of your due diligence will help you predict or predicate your exit strategy. And in, in every, I think in any acquisition real estate, you should have more than one, of course. In notes, there's probably three to five exit strategies I could I could use. I could keep the note, get it reperforming with the borrower, and collect the cash flow. Have the borrower give me a deed in lieu. Uh, worst case foreclose, and then if I take ownership of the property, I can hold it as a rental or or liquidate it as a as an REO asset. So knowing those exit strategies and doing my due diligence based upon the research, the results of my research. Uh, will then give me a pretty good roadmap as to what my options are down the road, especially if I get hit by those curveballs that we discussed earlier. And that really helps me set realistic expectations for results. And I can't do that without knowing that those factors at the front end that will affect them to the life of the ownership of the asset or project. With your private placement memorandum, the PPM, how much are you raising and where are you at with it right now? Uh, we're raising uh, right now uh, to start, uh, we're going to raise just a million dollars to do kind of a test case. So we're going to raise a million, buy 900 and some thousand dollars worth of notes. We have to keep some reserves. We've got our PPM pretty well written. We're tweaking it out right now. We've got our advertising collateral uh, written. So Ben and I are just kind of finalizing some aspects of the fund and working with a couple of, uh, of peers in our industry who have done PPMs before to get their opinion and make sure that it's it's fair to both our investors and to us and attractive to investors and that the business model will have a pretty good likelihood of providing a good return to our investors and our operations uh, will run, you know, that our operations will, will, the platform I've developed will fit into that well. And so we're looking to launch it in, in January, in, in about a month or so. When you uh, mentioned that you need a reserve, I mean, that, that it makes sense that you'd have to have reserve, but can you uh, elaborate on what is that reserve for? Sure. Uh, mainly for legal fees, if we have to foreclose, uh, we need to make sure we have enough money for that. Or, you know, if, if a note goes sideways and we foreclose and then we have to take ownership of the property, there's property preservation costs, uh, research costs. Those aren't a lot, but so we're, we're looking at keeping about 5% of the capital raise in reserve for legal fees and operating expenses. You've got legal fees, bookkeeping, so forth and so on. So just making sure we have enough to cover those expenses and, and uh, foreclosure costs or any kind of property improvement costs. Let's say we foreclose on a property that needs to needs ten or $20,000 worth of renovations before we can liquidate it. So we need, need to make sure we keep cash in reserve for those kinds of things. And how do you make money on that? Basically, by buying the disc, by buying the notes at a discount. So, we, you know, we're, we're looking to purchase in, in the markets that I mentioned, we'd like to buy those notes at less than 50% of the B, current BPO value of the house. So if there's a house in Charlotte that's worth $80,000, we want to pick that note up for 40000 or less. 
And because typically those homes uh, and, the, and the notes on those homes are underwater, we're going to probably, the, the, the unpaid principal balance or what's called the UPB is going to be higher than the value of the house. So that UPB on that $80,000 Charlotte house might be $90,000, $100,000. And we'll buy those notes at a discount. And then because we got them at a discount, if we get the borrower to reperform and we modify the note, usually the cash flow from that, uh, the monthly cash flow and the annualized ROI from that acquisition will be our portfolio, you know, my personal portfolio and Ben's personal portfolios are ranging over 30% annualized ROI average. Some notes will yield maybe 15 to 18%. Some will yield 40%. I have a note that um, on a little house in Charlotte that uh, is actually gave us an 89% return on our money. So buying right at the front end, obviously, and then doing the exit strategy correctly with the borrower can really produce really strong cash flow. And even more so, you know, in the in our fund model, it's not just cash flow, but we intend to liquidate the notes within the. It's going to be a closed-ended five-year fund, so our intention is to liquidate the notes after we get them reperforming. And usually, on a liquidation, we can get somewhere in the area of sixty to eighty percent of the value of that note. That value is either going to be the, the the value of the home at the time or the unpaid balance, depending which one is lower. Uh, and so that, uh, by buying the note at, let's say, 50% of the BPO and selling it two years down the road at 80% of the BPO, there's a good um, margin of equity that we can realize on top of the cash flow that we're getting in, during the term of that ownership of that asset. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Uh, the best ever book I've, I've read, There's, I'm a believer in personal development. So my library is a mixture of uh, both personal development and real estate professional reading. And the book that really got me started personally is a book called Three Simple Steps. And the author is Trevor Blake. And uh, Trevor is actually a multimillionaire, lives in the Seattle area, uh, got involved with pharmaceuticals. And he wrote this book, Three Simple Steps, which discusses basically developing a positive mindset by using intentions, meditation, and what he calls keeping yourself out of the mental quicksand of negative thinking. And it really, I read that book probably about four, three, maybe three years ago, and it really opened up my mind to meditation and personal development. And as far as professional books, there's one that really I started reading back in 06 called Equity Happens by Robert Helms and Russell Gray, who run a show called the Real Estate uh, Radio, the Real Estate Radio, or Real Estate Guys Radio. It really opened my eyes as to how real, buying rental real estate works. It's kind of a, uh, it's a good book. And then, of course, uh, Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad is, uh, is a standard that I think everybody uh, finds is a valuable book to read. Yeah, I, I've read two out of those three. I haven't read Three Simple Steps, but I've read um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and, and then also Equity Happens. Equity Happens is one of my favorites as well. Uh, I, I love the story to open up the book because it basically encapsulate, encapsulates all the principles that they describe later in the book. Um, and yeah. three simple steps I'll, I'll check out. And best ever listeners, you can just click in the show notes and there's a link to three simple steps by Trevor Brake and Blake. And you'll be able to look at that book as well. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learn from it? 
Wow. Um, personal growth. I think meeting my wife, Suzanne, you know, we're both on second marriages and Suzanne's a, a, a metaphysical, spiritual person. Through, through, we, we've, you know, we've become life partners. We've been married now, I think, 13 years. For personal growth, for me, she helps me stay aligned with my, uh, keep my moral compass going straight. Because, you know, the real estate business is like a roller coaster. It's got its ups and downs, market cycles, and cash flow, and so forth. So I can get a little crazy. And, and having a spouse who understands what I do, agrees with my intentions, and puts up with being married to an entrepreneur has helped me grow personally through her. Very important. That is for sure. Best ever deal you've ever done? Well, um, this again, that note in Charlotte I mentioned, we, we purchased it about two years ago. Uh, we did a loan mod with the borrower to get him reperforming. And he owed uh, about $25,000 in arrears. And we said, look, if you can pay 10000 of that, we will forgive the balance. And he was able to wrestle up $10,000. And basically, after we got his 10000 and uh, started him reperforming, it gave us an 89% return on investment. And essentially, I think actually now we're, we've been completely made whole on our investment on that note and the cash flow we're getting from his payments, which is uh, about $300, 340 a month, is pure profit to us. So it's a, it, it wasn't the biggest deal, but it was the best deal in terms of uh, ROI profit and being able to keep a borrower in their in their home. Best ever way you like to give back? I, I have a meetup group in Seattle. It's basically for note investors, new note investors to start out. So I'm doing mentoring for those folks. And I also contribute at least once a year or more to my local humane society. I, I love animals and we have, we've, we've had two dogs. We have one now and he's, uh, he's getting up there in his ears. But uh, basically contributing to humane society and uh, mentoring to both my meetup group as well as my local media group. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Back to due diligence. I actually, about a year ago, purchased an REO property out of state and it and I, I had contacted a property manager locally and he said it was gonna take 10 to 15, what would he say? He said 10,000 to get it um, back into rental shape. And um, I ended up buying it. I didn't check with more than one property manager. I didn't get second opinions because I trusted this person. And it ended up being a really trashed out house. I mean, totally copper stripped holes in the floor. They, they, they removed metal. It's an older home with those old metal columns on the holding up the front porch and there's two missing and one left and the front porch is going to collapse. So I'm still sitting on that asset. I should have done more due diligence. I should have just thought it out a little further. It was a sub $10,000 purchase, so it wasn't a ton of money. But again, I regret ever buying that without having to have, if I would have done more due diligence, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have purchased it at that price at least that I paid. Bob, what's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? It's bob at rcm.company. RCM stands for Resolution Capital Management or contact page on our website at www.rcm.company. Well, thank you for sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and myself and talking about the biggest challenges to note buyers. One is deal flow. The other is all those little curveballs that you come across when you resolve a note. One of them um, specifically would be the title issues that you mentioned uh, where you know the bank sold it to another bank who sold it to an investor who sold it to a hedge fund who cat ate the rat that dog stole the bone or something like that <laughs> what how, how yeah. that phrase goes but 
um, it, it sounds like a little shell game that you see in Vegas. And I'm sure that uh, once you finally get to the end and you identify, as you said, make sure all the assignments are in place, there's a decent amount of, of due diligence there. Um, and that certainly could be a bit time consuming um, if you don't have the right team in place. And, or if you do, someone's going to be spending some time on that. Um, and then also the, the one sentence, the example where you said the one sentence was missing in the legal description and that postpones things to two to three months. In, in, in this example, I'm sure it would vary depending on the state. Sounds like uh, if, if it's a non-judicial or judicial state. Uh, and then the, the learnings that you've, you've come across in uh, real estate and why you've chosen to focus on notes. I talked about the challenges, but then also your focus on note buying and the hassle-free, a relatively hassle-free nature and the due diligence methodology that you employ versus being a landlord and being on the property management side. Although you might end up being in that, in that area, uh, depending on your exit strategy, which you went over with note buying, and you can either keep it, you can get it to reperform, you can do a deed in lieu, or you can take ownership and uh, liquidate as an REO asset. So uh, lots of different things. I wish you the best on your private placement memorandum that you're doing um, this month in January. And then, you know, the, the different kind of the infrastructure that you walked us through on the private placement mem- memorandum, because I think that's really important for the best of our listeners. If you're thinking of, of doing a PPM, um, learning how other people are structuring it, where you've got 5% reserves and you're making the money, you're making your money in your pocket by buying the notes at a discount and, and uh, making sure that they're performing. So thanks so much for being on the show, sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners. And I hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me on and, uh, and you have a great day as well. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever.